So I'm very pleased to introduce Chris and his perspective uh, from the Picker Institute, really focusing on the patient experience of integrated care and how that can inform the models of service delivery. And I'm really looking forward to your talk. So I first heard about the Picker Institute um, when Stuart Bell talked about it. He is the chief executive of Oxford Health NHS Foundation Trust. So some of you may work there or know about, know about the trust if you if you are from Oxford. Um, and he really thinks this is very important and this is something that is coming more and more into um, the work we do in Oxford Health. And I think when we're thinking about integrated care and the political agenda, it's going to be really crucial. So welcome. Um, so first to say thank you all for, um, for being here this morning and thank you to the organisers for the opportunity to talk about this. Um, as introduced, I think it's very fitting that my talk follows on from um, Dr Hickson's discussion of um, the policy agenda and of the role of integrated care. I'm going to be talking about a very similar subject, but I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction, shall I get to. I think this is all very, very timely and very relevant now. I remember one of the very first conference presentations I ever did um, was on older people's experiences in emergency departments. I remember the chairman being very amused that myself, quite young at the time, was, was talking about older people's care. I don't think anyone would be amused anymore, though, because I think older people's care is so central to everyone. Um, has moved so far up the agenda for the NHS and for social care. Likewise, integrated care is something that everyone's talking about. Likewise, the funding crisis facing health and social care. And all of these issues fit tightly together in the context of an ageing population. I guess where my perspective is a bit different is that I'm, I'm very focused on person-centred care and I'm very focused in the role of patients, service users and people in um, shaping the care that they receive and being involved in it. And I guess what I want to take you through is that sort of perspective and hopefully leave you with an idea about the role of the person receiving care as part of that care delivery team, as part of that multidisciplinary team. Um, I'll tell you a bit about where I'm from. I'm from the Picker Institute. Um, I should mention that Stuart Bell's our chairman, so that's a competing interest out of the way. Um, and um, we are a charity based in Oxford. Um, we have a vision of the highest quality health and social care for all, always. Um, and the way we try to go about um, promoting the idea of person-centred care is threefold. We, we do policy influence, we try to work with professionals to provide the best tools and evidence, um, and we try to empower people to um, put patients, service users and carers at the centre of care services. Um, I won't dwell on that, I'll tell you quickly what I'm going to talk about. Um, I'm firstly going to talk about... Um, how we, um, uh, why we measure people's experiences of care. I'm going to fit that into the context of person-centred care in general. Then I'm going to try and um, come up with a definition of integrated care that we can work with, because I think the term integrated care is used so widely, so extensively um, and so authoritatively within the, um, the policy debate at the moment, but it's often quite difficult to pin down what people mean by it. I think there's often a lot of variance in, in what uh, meaning is imbued in it and what we should take from it. So I want to unpack that a bit particularly in the context of a person-centred care perspective and in the context of older person's care. I then want to look at how older people experience this and construct it and what their views are of integration and coordination. And then I, I, I hopefully want to put it all together a bit by looking at some actual examples of people's experiences of care um, and looking at what we can learn from those. So, without further ado, why measure user experience? Um, hopefully a lot of you have, um, have uh, heard a bit about patient experience or already engaged a bit with the idea of patient experience. 
Um, I can tell you if I was talking to um, people from a similar background 10 years ago, I, I wouldn't be able to say that. That's a sign of how far it's come up the agenda and how quickly. Um, but, you know, I think we take patient experience to be a measure of person-centred care. Person-centredness is a quality of care that um, puts people at the heart of the services they receive and involves them and makes them an active participant rather than um, a passive um, user. Um, and we need to measure um, the patient experience of care to, to know how good it is and to be able to improve it. I think that improvement perspective is central to everything that the patient experience movement tries to do. Um, we do it to see through the patient's eyes. It's very easy to take a, a professional perspective and, and take a sort of clinical detachment to the point where we um, forget what it's like to be a patient or a recipient of care. Um, and the idea that seeing from that other perspective is important is on the rise. Um, this is sort of to be built into um, policy language in the UK as well um, for the last 15 years or so. So the NHS plan in 2001 is very clear about putting patients at the heart of healthcare. This isn't the first time this language appears in policy documents, but it's one of the clearest and most central expressions to it in the evolving policy debate. Um, and that's further embedded um, in 2008 and 2009 by Lord Darcy's next stage review, which is um, intended to look at how the NHS would organise and deliver a quality service into the future. Um, Lord Darcy argued that patient experience would come to be seen as the most powerful lever for choice and quality um, and also for service improvement. So we have those um, two common threads, I think. One is a sort of moral duty around um, person-centredness or around patient experience. It's seeing through the patient's eyes, putting them at the centre of services, making them an active participant or giving them the opportunity to be at any rate. And the other is a more practical one about service improvement. Um, we use patient experience to learn how to do better. Um, and you'll note I talk exclusively about patient experience. I try and avoid the word satisfaction. Um, although I think when people think about getting feedback from patients and service users, satisfaction is often the first place they go to. Um, and it's often the, the kind of thing that is assumed to be measured. Um, in fact, the literature is quite, um, quite clear and there's quite good consensus that satisfaction is a very poor way of measuring the quality of care. Um, to measure someone's satisfaction is to take a very narrow view of a subjective experience. And it is very, very subjective, we, we know that. Um, it's very hard to take action on satisfaction as well. If someone is satisfied or they are not, um, all that implies is that their expectations of care have or have not been met. You don't know from someone's dissatisfaction what you did wrong or what you could do better next time. And instead, what we do with experience is we try to ask people to report on specific elements of their care. We ask them if they had trust and confidence in clinicians. We ask them if doctors listened. We ask them if they had enough time as part of their consultation and so on. By asking these questions instead, what we try to elicit is a sense of where things went wrong if they did. And hopefully there's more learning in that. Um, now, there's, there's been a lot of research over the years about the importance of this, and we find that not only is good user experience important in its own right, but there is a very strong link between user experience and some other um, indicators of quality, such as clinical effectiveness, safety, um, and uh, medical adherence. Um, and that relationship is now enshrined in NHS policy um, as part of the definition of healthcare service quality. And this, again, is going back to Lord Darcy's work in 2008. 
Um, Darcy defined um, healthcare qualities having three um, related and equally important components, patient experience, patient safety, and clinical effectiveness. Now, to provide an effective health service and to be able to improve, we need good measures of all of those. Um, and we can start to think about how different kinds of measure um, provide evidence of these different elements of quality. So for safety, we can look at things like mortality rates, um, incident reporting, never events. For clinical effectiveness, we can look at um, clinical audits, readmission rates, outcome measures, and so on. And then for the newer field of patient experience, we need to look to the patient and get their view. That can either be through routine mechanisms like looking at compliments and complaints that are received, looking at online commentary, um, or it can be through specialised collections of patient experience, sometimes called um, PREMS, um, although I don't particularly like the term myself. Um, now, I want to move on and talk a bit about what we mean by integrated care and look at the, the definition of that term. Um, I think there have been a lot of different attempts to define integrated care and um, they each bring different kinds of meaning to it. I've just got a few of them on the screen and we can see the different ways that um, they, they structure the relationship between users and services. Um, so we could define integrated care as a coherent, coordinated set of services planned, delivered and managed across a range of organisations. We could define it as health and social care working together and both of those seem to me to be very structural definitions, very much about the way organisations interact or about the way care is planned um, at, a, at a kind of structural and organisational level. Um, there's some rather more cynical views of what integrated care means in the current policy context as well. Um, so I've seen someone describe it as a stealthy way of transferring money out of the NHS. Um, I think they were joking, but um, I'm, I'm quoting them on it anyway. Um, well, simply it's a very slippery phrase. Um, I, I should elaborate on that. Why is it a stealthy way of transferring money out of the NHS? This is a reference to the um, Better Care Fund, um, which is the, uh, the uh, brilliantly named replacement of the Integrated Care Transformation Fund. This is the move of um, around 3% of the NHS budget out of the NHS ring fence into a shared pool of health and social care, um, which is seen by some as vital to integration and seen by others as a, a kind of um, cash grab away from the NHS. I'm not going to argue about which. Um, but all of these definitions are a bit different, and in fact, there, there are lots more. I mean, I've, I've cherry picked, but there are at least 175 different um, operational definitions of integrated care. Um, and that's a challenge. If we want to make it a reality, we need to know what our actual definition is. I do think a lot of the definitions have this in common that they focus on gaps between services. They're very negatively expressed, and they're about what happens when things go wrong. Um, they're about the gaps in between. Um, and that's expressed very well in this uh, docu um, document from the Department of Health in 2012. Too often people experience gaps in service provision, failures in communication and poor transitions in care. So it's about the negatives, it's about where things have gone wrong, it's about how services have let people down. I don't think that's how patients see it. I think if we want to take a person-centred view of integrated care instead, um, we need to approach it from an altogether different direction, not about services and where they go wrong, but about what people want out of a care service, what holistic care means, and this is really important in the context of active ageing. If we're going to have a holistic view of what it means to age well and have a good quality of life, we need to look at how services don't force people to comply with them, but fit their lives. 
Now, um, one quote here um, starts to illustrate this. The ideal of uh, seamless, well-coordinated care has been elusive partly because of this top-down approach, everything being service-orientated, partly because of a lack of patient-centric focus. And now I think the first really clear expression of the person-centred view is um, from Lloyd and Waite in 2005, who critically um, describe integrated care as imposing the patient's perspective as the organising principle of service delivery. And I really like that, and I think it's really important. Uh, it gives us a way of seeing um, care coordination that we might not otherwise have. It also fits really well with what users tell you they want about um, uh, the integration of services. Now, um, the Cancer Campaigning Group in 2012 did some research um, comprising focus groups and interviews with um, people with cancer, including a lot of older people, um, and looked at some of the things that they said about care coordination, what they took this term to mean. Also asked them about integrated care. And unsurprisingly, people say, integrated care? Never heard of it. Doesn't mean anything to me. But when they get into a discussion about what it is and what it involves and what it could mean for them, people are quite clear. They want um, coordination of care. They want coordination between professionals um, so that, that, that you know, there's a consistency about how they're looked after and about the information that follows them. They want a one-stop shop. Um, they want accessibility from one point to another. Um, and they want collaboration. They want everyone to know everything about the patient throughout their journey. And that's, again, really important, that recognition that this is about the individual user and their journey, which um, can be very different. We, we've talked a bit about um, comorbidities and the complexities that brings. I think um, as you start looking at individual patient, patient journeys, because of that almost infinite range of complexity, population sizes um, tend towards one, and that's a, a challenge. Um, similarly, um, this is Word Cloud from some work done by the King's Fund. Um, looking at how people define integrated care, and this includes professionals and patients and representative groups. Um, but the words that come out, I think, are a lot more positive. Um, the words that jump out to me are seamless, um, uh, coordination, um, sharing, um, and so on. So they're, they're much more about getting it right, and it's a much more positive way of looking at it. It's, it's more about keeping everything flowing smoothly, and I think that's a, a nice way to view it. This is now encapsulated in a, a consensus document called uh, Narrative for Integrated Care, published by National Voices and commissioned by um, a cross-government consortium, as uh, a cross-national consortium, including um, NHS England, the local government association, and so on. And that defines integrated care as person-centred, coordinated care. Um, and uh, that's the, the definition that I like to work with. Um, I think it's um, a good definition because I see it as uh, capturing the key issues for people who use services. I think it's a good definition because I see it as being irreducibly complex as well. Um, I don't think good integrated care in these terms is person-centred care that is additionally well-coordinated. I think it's something that brings those two together. You can coordinate care without taking that personal perspective or you can really, really focus on the person without um, providing them the continuity, coherence and um, structure um, that they want. So, so this packages it up really well for me and I'll come back to some of the related work on that. What does this mean for older people and how am I doing for time? All right. Um, I think 
Um, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that Dr. Hickson talked a lot about the relevance of integrated care for older people, so I can largely take it as read at this point um, that we agree um, that it's a matter of consensus. Um, older people do tell you that coordination of care is particularly important for them, and policymakers are united in the view that it's particularly important because older people are greater users of services, more likely to have multiple conditions, more likely to use a range of services. Um, and all of those factors mean that if we're going to deliver integrated care, um, the place we really want to get it right is for older people. And if we're going to deliver it as person-centred, coordinated care, that means we need to understand what older people want and work out how we're going to do that, both within services and between them, because I don't think this is just an um, inter-organisational problem. Um, so, further work by National Voices and others um, tried to expand their narrative to look specifically at older people. Um, how does this idea of person-centred, coordinated care um, vary once you get into older age, and how does it fit into um, an idea of active ageing? And what people tell you that they want, and what there's a lot of consistency about, both in this work, my own work, and in work by others, um, is that people want independence. You know, they want safe independence, they don't want to be left alone to get on with it, they want to be looked after and cared for, but they, they want to be respected and be autonomous as far as they possibly can. Um, to that end, they also want to be involved in decision making. They don't want decisions made for them or about them, they want to be part of the process, they want to be guiding the process for as long as they can. Um, and they want interaction and social contact. A really important part of quality ageing, I think, is not feeling that isolation that can so often happen for people um, uh, and the ways in which people describe this is in terms of as they get into older age um, uh, losing peers um, through, uh, through disease and death and so on and, and the feeling that they can be left alone they don't have the peer interaction that they might otherwise have um, but they still want to be part of their community. Um, this is summed up in a set of I statements um, I'm not going to read through them all because that would take a very long time um, but these try to give um, a user voice or personal voice to what it means to have person-centred coordinated care for older people. Um, some of the ones that I'd highlight are, are um, being recognised for what I can do um, rather than having assumptions made about what I can't do. Um, being supported to be independent. Being able to make my own decisions um, if I want to. Um, and having services work together to support me to live the life that I want to live to the best of my ability. So um, I think if we're asking what do older people want from care coordination, it fits very well into this model um, of active ageing. It fits very well into the idea of person-centred coordinated care with the patient as the organising principle. Now, I said at the very start that if we believe in person-centred approach, we need to measure it to be able to improve quality. Um, and I want to talk a bit about how we measure now and what that means specifically for older people. Um, as I've hinted, there's a lot of different ways of getting feedback um, and I could talk all day about the kind of range of approaches that are being used and that could be used. Um, but I'm going to focus particularly on um, surveys. Um, surveys are probably the most important um, example of quantitative data collected about user experience of care. And in the NHS, we're fortunate um, to have one of the world's largest patient and service user survey programmes. Um, we coordinate a lot of that at the Picker Institute, so I, I should mention that um, I may be slightly biased in my view that this, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Um, 
but we conduct surveys of um, people's experiences in acute hospital settings, in community mental health, in primary care, through specialist conditions, um, and so on. Um, and these range of national surveys provide um, evidence about people's experiences interacting with different kinds of providers. Um, they have a lot of common features. Typically, we're talking about postal surveys um, with very large samples. Um, to to contextualise that, we currently have live a national survey of hospital inpatients. That is going out to somewhere in the region of 175,000 people this year. We'll get something like 80 or 90,000 responses. Um, and uh, what that means is the data that we get back is representative at a provider level. So we can look at people's experiences um, at the JR, we can look at people's experiences at Addenbrooke's um, or UCLH or Imperial or, or wherever. Um, we can also start to break it down by age group, um, which will be important in a second. Um, and these results are really embedded um, into the way services are assessed and regulated. So CQC make extensive use of this data for performance assessment and regulation. Um, and they're also available um, quite openly for secondary analysis. So if anyone is, is interested in conducting their own research, um, the data from the patient survey programmes is available via the UK data service um, and is freely accessible um, in its kind of raw and edited format. Um, throughout all of the surveys that we do, we like to look at the kind of demographic trends and the underlying differences in populations to try and find out what drives good experience and what factors are associated with better or worse care. Consistently, um, we find that people over 65 report higher, um, higher satisfaction, better experiences um, and better care um, in a range of settings. Now, this is both true in our surveys um, and internationally. Um, it's very widely observed. Um, and in fact, in England, we also find that older people report better experiences of just about all public services. So something odd there. Why is that? Um, a common assumption is that it's about lower expectations, um, that older people um, are thankful for what they get, um, aren't demanding of more, um, or sometimes there's a generational idea that they, you know, the oldest people in our society have lived through harder times and therefore you know, they're, they're just happy to be getting any care at all. Um, newer work suggests that's probably not true um, and uh, intuitively it doesn't fit with the, the kind of personal experiences one encounters from older people anyway. Um, so newer researchers found that older people actually have higher expectations of care or higher realistic expectations when you ask them to think about what they, they actually expect to receive versus what's plausible. Um, but they're more likely to report that those are met. Um, so does that constitute a gratitude bias? I, I don't think it does. Does it constitute genuine differences in the quality of care? I think it might, but it's difficult. And there might also be other confounding factors. So um, when you're looking at cross-sectional data from surveys or similar sources, you have to take into account the fact that there will be clustering. There will be um, a lot of confounding from factors such as ethnicity, um, wealth, health status and so on, and all of those could influence this. But this overall pattern is clear and consistent, and I want to illustrate it in the context of the National Community Mental Health Survey. Um, this is uh, data from a survey we conducted last year. This is based on um, 13,000 responses. Um, and this shows how, um, as your age um, increases, your mean score for an overall rating question changes. 
Now, this is a simple 0 to 10 rating, so people have an 11 point scale, they rate their care overall. It's a very, very crude measure. Um, it's not the kind that I would normally recommend, but it's a good introduction to the topic. Um, and what you can see quite clearly is that in the younger age groups, the survey starts at age 18, um, up to say about 50 or um, 40 or 50. People report quite a poor experience. Um, they get averaging a score just over six. By the time you've got up to 65, 70, it's getting much higher. There's a fairly steady um, upward trend there. Um, that trend drops off a little bit once you hit 80, and then the data becomes a lot less reliable beyond that because we're dealing with smaller numbers of respondents. We're dealing with a smaller population in community mental health. Um, that trend persists when you look at more specific questions about particular areas of experience that are related to the things that older people tell us they want most about um, health and social care services. So um, in each of these charts we have age broken into um, five categories, 16 to 35, 36 to 50, um, 51 to 65 and 80 plus, sorry, um, greater than 80. Um, you can see a very similar trend in all of them. Uh, the text is probably too small and too tilted to read, so I'll, I'll point out that the top left one is um, uh, do you get seen enough for your needs, do you have enough contact with the mental health service? The next one is about um, are you given enough time to discuss your needs and treatment? Um, in the bottom corner here, this one is about um, being involved in deciding what treatments or therapies you, um, you use and receive. And the final one in the bottom right um, is about um, being supported to take part in local activities. So very directly this addresses that priority around social interaction and community engagement. Very directly this addresses that question about involvement in decisions. Very directly this addresses that question about getting the right services at the right time. And what we do consistently see is um, if you're over the age of 65 you're likely to report a more positive experience. That drops off as you get a bit older, but it's otherwise a clear pattern. In fact, we have 33 evaluative questions on that survey. Um, out of them, people over 65 give significantly more positive responses than their younger peers um, on 27 items. There are only two items where older people report less positive experiences, um, and those are these ones um, about agreeing um, what kind of care you'll receive and about knowing who to contact if you have a crisis out of hours. Um, what can we take from this? Superficially, the suggestion is that older people have a fantastic experience. So it's, they report better care than younger people. Um, they are therefore um, uh, more happy with the services they receive. Um, I think actually uh, it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, I think in all of these we see big scope for improvement, big gaps away from the top of these charts. Um, you know, we're looking at people that are reporting a better experience but still reporting an experience that could be significantly better. Um, we also need to be careful about, um, I think, inherent response characteristics and traits. And that is the thing that we can't adequately account for in this. To what extent do the way people choose to respond to questions about um, how they receive care influence the outcomes. And one possibility that I think it's really important to be mindful of as a provider of care, therefore, is that some people from certain um, demographic groups are more likely to acquiesce to questions about the care they receive. Um, and that could be both in the context of a survey, but also in the context of face-to-face -face care provision. So when you're providing care, 
be conscious that some people might say yes and might report that the experience is what they want um, for reasons other than the quality of care is actually meeting their expectations. And I think that's, that's a really important thing for actually all users. Um, so I'll, I'll wrap up now, I'm slightly over time. Um, what I hope I've, I've got across is that I think um, user experiences are, are one component um, of healthcare quality um, and a really good way of measuring the person-centeredness, that, that kind of individualised, personalised element of care. Um, they're not the only measure of care quality um, and it would, be, um, it would be foolish of me to argue that we could stop measuring patient safety or clinical effectiveness or um, service expenditure or other indicators of healthcare quality and efficiency. I think we need to measure them all and look at them holistically. Um, I think this fits very tightly to um, uh, the development of integrated care and the ageing population because what we hear consistently from older people and about older people is that this is a group for who care coordination um, in the sense of person-centred coordinated care is really particularly important and we have to do it right. Um, to do that um, we have challenges, um, we're going to need to um, find better ways of looking at how people um, are handed off between services and how people experience things in their own pathways. A limitation to the kind of surveys I've described is that they are quite provider-centric um, and in the future a challenge for those surveys is to look more at the patient journey and follow the individuals better and there's various bits of work underway to start doing that. Um, what I hope that will mean in the future is that we'll have better data about how people receive um, coordination between a range of services um, and I hope that information will be useful for improving the quality of care. Um, and I'll uh, leave you there. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was great. Um, I know we're a little bit over. Any, any questions? Because I had one, yeah. and I was just curious about the, um, the survey that you're doing of yeah. hospitals nationally. Mm. Do you take any measures to try and increase the response rates you get from vulnerable older people, sort of people that older psychiatrists might see with depression or with dementia who might not want to fill in a survey, but whose response yeah. might be very valid? Um, that's a really good question. Um, so across all surveys, what we tend to find is that older people are more likely to respond in general, um, and that the older you get up to a point, the more, um, the greater your uh, propensity to respond is. Again, that drops off once you get into the very older stage groups around 80. Um, the mechanisms we use in national surveys to try and address this is to um, uh, encourage um, people to provide proxy responses or to assist. So if people are unable to complete a survey on their own, they're invited to um, complete it with a friend or family member um, and uh, to go through the questions with them and be supported. Now, that is probably an imperfect way of doing it because it means we lose the, the directness of the experience um, and you know, we're relying on assistance rather than getting someone's own viewpoint. So that's, that's a problem. Um, and it does um, have problems for how you interpret the data because we also find that where proxies are used and um, reports of the, the quality of care are much poorer, um, even after you take into account all other demographic factors. Now, that could either mean that people who respond for someone else are more critical about that care, or it could mean that there's um, an unmeasured confounder that people who need a proxy because they're in worse health or because their care has been poorer for some reason. Um, uh, or, 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 um, or the ones who are using a proxy. Um, what we don't have is any evidence or, um, from dyads where you get people to complete with a proxy and without to see whether there's that difference. That's a, a topic for research. What I would say is that the best place to get user experience information in general is at the point of care. Um, and, uh, and for older people who engage with old age psychiatry, 
I think um, trying to find out through those encounters what their experience is like is the best way to do it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. That's great. So now you'll be glad to know it's coffee time. Um, we'll coffee time until 11 o'clock. We'll come back here at 11. And if you have any sort of general career questions, then that will be in seminar room one. So that's on the ground floor. Um, and Nina, <coughs> Viara, I think Alessia will all be there. So if you have any questions for them, please do go and have